we are supposed to do every single time. Right, and that I never ever write into the script. That's fine. Okay, you ready for this? I am ready to rock and or roll. Cool, cool. Hello everyone, I'm Jason. I'm Laura. And welcome to Come Back a Star, a movie award love story. It's a parade of lovely movies. How about that? Does that kind of fit in? Yeah, that works perfectly. Okay, Thank there you. we go. Hey, Thank no you. problem. I'm good on the fly with the thinking and the words. <laughs> <laughs> we are watching every Best Picture winner and nominee from 1927 onwards. And this week's episode is 12th episode is going to be Love Parade or is it is it the love parade? It's the love parade. It's not okay. just some random love parade, Jason. It's the love parade from not, 1929. Not and love parade, but the love parade. The and this love is parade. our first movie of the 1929 slash 1930 Oscar season. And we're starting it off light with a rom-com. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty rom, pretty calm. I have, it's probably our most lighthearted movie so far. I mean, Broadway Melody had its comedic moments. I mean, and a lot of the movies did, but they all seem to lean pretty heavy on the melodrama. Mm -hmm. Uh, This does not have much melodrama, which I appreciate. Yeah, this is the first one that was just downright goofy. It's downright goofy. Um, So should we jump right into it? And uh, yeah, well, I guess let's show our menu a little bit since it might be the first time people are listening in. What? Uh, Yes. So. What we do is we kind of give a summary of the plot first for these movies. And then after that, that's when we start rating them on specific uh, categories and things like that. And with the let's start off with the summary. Let's do it. All right. So The Love Parade was made in 1929 and directed by Ernst Lubitsch, who is probably a name we will hear a lot in the 30s. Mm hmm. Love Parade opens in the swing in Paris of 1929. A military attache Count Alfred Reynard, who you might have heard of as Maurice Chevalier, uh, is from the fic- fictional country of Sylvania. Mm-hmm. A familiar name to Marx Brothers fans, actually. Yes, it's the uh, opponent country to Feudonia in Duck Soup. And there's a few little things in here that I think points to a much larger cinematic universe of... Uh, 1930s comedies here. Yeah, absolutely. The The Marx Brothers movie definitely kind of refers to this movie, which we are just giggling about throughout. It's uh, the, very strange. The goofy costumes, especially for the soldiers mm-hmm. and certain just shots and things like that were lifted directly from the Love Parade and appear in Duck Soup. It's weird. I wonder how purposeful that was. It had to be a little bit, right? But... How what a strange thing to do. I have to believe it was. So strange. Well, anyhow, but still, we open up in Paris where Count Alfred Renard is living it up as a French accented playboy. He avoids murder in the first scene from a vengeful lover's husband with a uh, faulty gun. I have to say that was a pretty funny sequence. Yeah, uh, it kind of starts off where he's obviously, uh, well, canoodling with uh, this man's wife. And the wife threatens to kill herself and fires this pistol into her chest in a very awkward angle, too. But I was like, whoa, are we going really dark in this like a little rom-com with Marie Chevalier right off the top? But it turns out not. She had blanks in the gun. And after (laughs) after both Chevalier and the husband are puzzling over the gun together as if they no longer have animosity towards each other. <laughs> They're just kind of trying to puzzle out this gun. I thought it was a pretty good bit. It, it was. It was. The husband examines the gun first, and then Chevalier just kind of takes it from him and starts looking at it as well. Yeah, and then kind of tucks it away with the rest of the guns he's collected, I guess, from various yeah. lovers' husbands. But uh, was, it, was it his gun or was it hers? I think it was hers, and he just... It must most of his romantic encounters must end like this. And uh, <laughs> so he just has a collection. I mean, this really could go dark. I would love to see Maurice Chevalier play like a bluebeard type character with, the, you know. Yeah. Well, in a way, this part of it was kind of a Don Juan reference, but oh, incredibly goofy. Yeah. It's goofy Don Juan is a good way to describe like Maurice Chevalier's kind of whole persona. This was your first Chevalier movie, huh? 
yes, my only experience with Chevalier before this was, again, going back to Marx Brothers was in monkey business where they all claim to be Chevalier. Yeah. And try to sing one of his songs. And only Harpo is convincing because he actually has the photograph behind his back playing Chevalier singing. Yes. It's it's a classic bit. This is not the last one you'll see of Chevalier, maybe for this decade, but he makes a comeback in the 50s and early 60s. And he's uh, in Gigi, which won Best Picture for 1960. I have seen that. I don't remember it, but he's the old guy in the park singing Thank Heaven for Little Girls. Okay. There you go. Fine. Yeah, that fine is all you can say. Anyhow, so every he's very triumphant as he escorts out the uh, reconciled lover and her husband. But his time in Paris is up for Sylvanian and for the, the Sylvanian ambassador sends him back to his home country in disgrace. Yeah. So they've been hearing about this military attaché's uh, exploits in Paris, and they're very upset about it. And the ambassador also goes as far as to say, like, well, I know that I'm not misunderstanding what I'm hearing because I'm the one who's been tracking you down for the past few days, which I think is a little obsessive. A little bit. I mean, but Chevalier takes it in good stride. Like, oh, I would have taken you to better places if I knew you were following me. So, you know, Chevalier is uh, you can see why Chevalier was really popular. There's a lot of smarm to him. But at the same time, it, it's he's just a very lighthearted French fellow. Yeah, he's uh, he's charming enough. Yeah. And I was expecting him to be a little bit too saccharine. And and this was purely based off of the poster for the movie, which makes him look like exactly the sort of character that I wouldn't like to see. Exactly. But yeah, I found him uh, more charming than I was expecting. Yeah. Yeah. He he was a huge hit in the 30s. Um, And he uh, I feel like he really sells uh, the goofiness of the premise with a. He has a good impish grin. He does. So we're taken to Sylvania, uh, where we meet dreamy, headstrong Queen Louise, played by Jeanette MacDonald in her film debut. She is counseled by her cabinet on the subject of marriage and how difficult it will be to find a man willing to play the restrictive role of Prince Consort. Enter Alfred, who quickly wins Louise's heart instead of the punishment he was sent to her for. It's a... It's a whirlwind romance, but one of the things that I really liked about it was, well, first of all, it was kind of put up comedically about how everyone's expecting this queen to get married and everyone is constantly talking about it, Mm -hmm. constantly playing the wedding march in a big band right outside her window. (laughs) Um, It was all pretty good. And one thing, and this is not the last that we see of him, was an elderly, well, not elderly, elderly, but an older advisor who's kind of seems to be the leader of them all uh getting really excited that she likes uh chevalier's character and i thought that was kind of cute because i was expecting him to be like oh no anyone but this guy because he's such a playboy and so and there's no shame in that there's no uh there's there's no uh slut shaming in this movie there isn't but again it's kind of like for the man, there's no slut shaming. But if Louise carried on like that, there would be a lot more disapproval, probably. Maybe not, but she does take him back to her bedchamber. That's true. And they're all really excited about about that. And it's kind of it's a very voyeuristic scene, which is. Hilarious. Yeah, it's a creepy voyeuristic scene. But at the same time, it's kind of like these advisors are watching them have dinner and are narrating them falling in love. It's obviously just supposed to be a lot of goofy fun that we're not supposed to actually take as them spying on these two having sex. Cause they don't, they just sing to each other. Oh, really, really romantically. <laughs> May have jumped ahead a little bit. Sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. But they do marry uh, much to the delight of Louise's maid Lulu played by a stage favorite Lillian Roth and the skepticism of Alfred's loyal valet Jacques played by Lupino Lane. Lulu, who is in love with uh, Lupino Lane, uh, pushes him down a lot. And that's kind of his physically, physically. Yeah. Like uh, he's a very tiny, tiny man. And really, I guess he his the actor who played him never really had a stage like a screen persona 
so much as my shtick is I fall down a lot and I'm good at it. And he is. He's and very he, good he's at it. He's very good at it. And actually, both of the, <laughs> these two actors have uh, kind of stories of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, Lupino is uh, double jointed or was. And mm-hmm. that was kind of like his shtick is he could fall down and do the splits and like do all this crazy stuff with his body. And, and he does, he puts that on display in the movie and it's, uh, it's impressive. It is impressive, but I think the lack of a strong personality Mm -hmm. is probably what made it so that he didn't really have a very, uh, thriving film career. That's true. He didn't have, um, just didn't have that same screen presence, but he did go on to do a lot in the theater. Yeah. And I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So I could see him definitely having more stage presence than screen presence. Yeah. A little like Charles King from Broadway Melody, who's, you know, likable enough on screen. But you can imagine him owning a stage. Right. A lot more than than the film. And of course, uh, I'll. Do you want to talk about Lillian Roth? Because she's also very interesting. She's very interesting. Um, I've always known her more, and you probably have too. Speaking of the Marx Brothers, she was in Animal Crackers as, uh, you know, one half of the uh, Ingenue Love pairing. Right, right. And uh, yeah, no, she had been in stage since she was a kid with her sister and uh, was a real firecracker. But the fact that she was so popular and in demand, uh, you know, really took a toll on her personal life and she really started to rely on on alcohol mm-hmm. and that really kind of she, she was kind of shy by nature is what i read or something right. like that either her or her sister were not not like these big person extroverted personalities which is surprising because she comes off so bubbly and uh mm-hmm. extroverted in her performances i mean she's so likable i mean she's not true Totally unpretentious, uh, just a ball of fun. And I think, you know, if you are a shy person, it's probably a lot of work to get that persona across. I mean, as we see with someone like Marilyn Monroe, who was not Marilyn Monroe. Right. You know, and so she had I mean, the reason it took so long for, you know, Marilyn Monroe to get on screen, it took her hours was because she was having to center herself to get that persona out there. Mm-hmm. And I think it was kind of the same for Lillian Roth. And, you know, the more she drank, the less she was able to work. And so for years, you know, she was just a forgotten presence. Yeah, she went through something like eight marriages or something like that. Yeah, she she had like the typical kind of disastrous show business life. Yeah, the very, very stereotypical Hollywood downfall. Exactly. Story. But also, you know, really... Uh, heartwarming comeback in a way, because instead of, you know, staying in obscurity or climbing back to the top and pretending like all of the tragedy in her life had never happened, she was one of the first uh, active spokespeople for AA and Mm -hmm. uh, really owned what she had gone through and wrote. And I still want to read this sometimes, so I need to find it. Um, She wrote uh, these memoirs called uh, I'll Cry Tomorrow that were just a huge hit, like Mm -hmm. really brought her back into uh, public attention. And uh, Susan Hayward won. She was either nominated or or she won the Oscar for playing Lillian Roth in a movie by the same name in the fifties. So it was kind of, it was just kind of nice. Like, I don't think she ever really got back into films again or anything, but she was able probably to make enough money from the memoirs and get what she wanted to about, the hardships of her life and the hardships of alcoholism and how you can get better. I think she got that message out there and probably made it easier for people to seek help for themselves, which is very important. So Lillian Roth is a very, I think, important character in film history. Yeah. She she did a lot to, to destigmatize alcoholism and kind of help us help us like learn more about it as a disease. Exactly. Instead of a, moral failing exactly exactly and it's so hard to like picture what she'd gone through when you watch this movie because she just has and she i noticed this in animal crackers too uh just this air of happiness about her um and she's fresh-faced and very cute and ingenuish so it's hard to imagine but it's it's really cool that she was able to overcome all that so that's yeah that's lily roth and in this movie she she 
play someone who pushes someone down a lot, but it's it's fun. It's fun. And I don't know how to fun d- with explain it, it exactly. I, but. She's just she's uh, her. It's I mean, her character is not exactly brilliantly written or conceived or anything. She's a cute. You know, she was conceived as, you know, a cutie dressed up as a maid in a re- I, I mostly love the costumes, but I have to say hers is just kind of ridiculous. It is. It's so short and weird looking, but she's she sells it. And she and Lupita Lane have, you know, a good enough chemistry. I think it would have been better had Lane been a better actor. But, there's there's that. But. but, you know, so they're just kind of like a side thing going on uh, while the main action is reserved for Chevalier and McDonald. But speaking of them, the wedded bliss does not last long, as Alfred does find himself chafing at his restricted restricted role as consort. Which is a big disappointment to me, mm-hmm. because the way that it was presented uh, rather offensively was at the wedding, there is someone who is the Afghan ambassador. Afghani? I don't remember what the term this is. is a, that, that's a bit from The Office where they're all trying to figure out if it's Afghan, Afghani. But, you know, um, we don't someone know. from Afghanistan, the ambassador from Afghanistan. There we go. Good save. Uh, uh, played in brownface by somebody. It's really offensive fictional patter for his language. Oh, gosh, that was so bad. Oh, my God. But anyways, so this ambassador points out that, you know, in his country, a man is a man and a woman is a woman. And this whole like gender change of the woman being in charge is only going to lead to disaster. And at first I thought it was just going to be an offensive. uh, Well, you know, people in Afghanistan must be so backwards. And there's this hyper masculine culture and Islam blah, 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 that sort of crap. Uh, But instead, the movie just kind of goes along with it and says, yeah, he's going to be unhappy because he's not in charge. And I also had hope. I mean, not really hope. I knew where the movie was going, Mm -hmm. but I had a hopeful alternate reality in which the way that they were portraying Chevalier's discontent with the marriage mirrored exactly kind of the 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 feminine mystique story of how there's this thing that's missing and traditionally we saw it with women who had were given nothing of real import to do and things like that and if you really stretch it if you really squint your eyes while you look at it you can kind of see just the slightest hints of yeah, see, this is what it's like to be a woman in a marriage, but now we're presenting it as if it were a man, and maybe that's a little bit more relatable to men to understand that message. And maybe there will be like a slow coming uh, realization that, oh, yeah, this is just kind of screwed up no matter what the gender, and it should be a partnership of equals, not one subservient to the other, no matter if it's a man or woman. But that's not really what we end up getting no and it's it was a big i knew it was coming from a mile away and it was still let down you were still, to me. Kind of, you were still just hoping but no so he tries to take part in stabilizing the country's economy by writing up a plan to rely more on sylvania's natural resources than on loans from other countries backed by her cabinet louise tells him to stay out of official business and that he must present a happy facade at the opera with her that night Now, to be absolutely fair to Louise and her uh, advisors, there has been no indication so far that Chevalier, I keep calling him Chevalier, uh, Count Alfred Renard. He's playing Marie Chevalier with a different name. This is true. He doesn't even change his accent, despite all the other people in Sylvania having an American accent. And they even have like a scene where he tries to explain that he adapts a French accent ever since he's been in Paris because it helps him get the ladies. And I, I think, again, I really appreciate the movie doesn't take itself too seriously. Yeah. In that, yeah. you know, it's like we realize that this makes no sense. Just go with it. But yeah, anyway, there's there's no indication that this playboy has any idea how to run a country or much less how to make an economic plan in a few days. So uh, if I were Louise, I would kind of ask him gently to butt out as well. I guess. I mean, I do think, again, it's a Good idea in a marriage to treat each other as equals and to take each other's concerns seriously. 
But yeah, there is no indication that he has any education. I, If I were Louise, I'd definitely take a look at it. But I can understand also why she'd be like, this is a very delicate governmental system here. Yeah. You can't just barge in and expect to change it all. Yeah. At, at the very worst, what we can say about her, at least from my point of view, is that she was not terribly, I guess, nice about it. No, she was pretty uh, cold, but she'd been putting up with his kind of like pouting and temper tantrums about his, you know, ever so difficult role of uh, having to play tennis and uh, just be nice. Just, just be, yeah. Just look nice. Just look nice. I mean, it's like well, thousands of women in history have done it, but you can't stand it for like what a month. They're married for like a month at this point. Well, and that was another thing that I was kind of thinking of is that they present him as very feminine in, in that role as well, where he's upset and she offers to go get him some clothes, which is kind of like a very stereotypical oh, thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, the wife is upset. Maybe if I get her a nice dress, she'll she'll shut up is kind of the way that it came across. So, again, if you squint your eyes really hard, you can kind of see it being as a criticism of that whole system. But we'll we'll get to it. Yeah, it falls apart. It falls apart. Anyways, uh, Chevalier or Reynard, but probably let's just call him Chevalier. He refuses to play along and Louise is forced to enter the opera box alone. And just as the gossip in the seats reaches a frenzied height, he does show up and sits beside her with a wide smile on his face. However, he tells her he came only out of pity and that he plans to divorce her and head to Paris the next day. He further torments her emotionally by making a big show of leering at a pretty ballerina on the stage. Uh, And this is where I just really started to hate him and get disappointed in this movie because he just treats her terribly. Yeah, he gets really mean. And just but he's like treating it as a joke. And you could tell it's very condescending. He's like, oh, I'm just, you know, showing her, uh, you know, what's happening, you know, trying to put her in her place. Uh, let's see if I can make her mad. Wink, wink. That's just. Yeah, it it was just cruel. And I don't like my heroes being cruel unless there is some sort of unless that was like a temporary thing where he now he's taking it too far. And, and he, there'll be some sort of reconciliation at the end. But it it spoiler alert, he gets away with it. And so he's just mean. He's just mean. And it's kind of like, I know this is supposed to be a goofy movie. We would we don't take too seriously, but she is the queen of this country. She's a woman ruling alone at a very young age. Don't embarrass her like this. I mean, you're supposed to be this patriotic guy. Respect your queen, damn it. <laughs> Queens are ridiculous anyways, but Oh, still. yeah, I mean, the whole system's dumb, but if you're going to be in it, at least play along. <clears throat> at least don't be mean to other people. Don't be mean to other people. The, the official stance of Come Back a Star, a movie award podcast. Yeah. Don't be mean to other people. Yeah, we should just replace uh, our logo with just a big smiley face emoji. Be nice. Be nice. The Be Nice podcast. <laughs> And of course, this uh, makes Louise so desperate to keep him. And so she hounds him throughout the night as he packs, begging him to stay. When he refuses, she insists that she will follow him. And this devotion finally convinces him that she's properly learned her place. And after exacting the promise that he will be king and in command of the country, uh, they reconcile. Uh, Louise learns to relax her role and Alfred learns nothing. Uh, there's a lot of singing throughout. I should probably, you know, add that it's Chevalier and McDonald. Yeah. I'm checking the timestamp right now on our recording and it has taken us about half as long as it usually does to describe a movie at this length. And I have to say that is because it is a musical. Mm-hmm. So a lot of time is taken up about just kind of singing about feelings throughout this. So much singing, a lot of singing and the sound quality has definitely we already see a huge jump oh, in, yeah. in progress from uh you know <laughs> the films from last year of Broadway Melody and Hollywood Review. Already it's better, but it's there's actual sound effects. There are actual sound effects. However, there's still, I think, a way to go. And I couldn't always understand uh, especially when they were singing what they were mm-hmm. singing about, uh, especially with McDonald. Uh, she, of course, was 
very famous soprano in the movies. This was her film debut, but she sings at such a high octave that like her enunciation kind of gets lost. I'm like, I do not understand what you're singing. Yeah, they had a little bit of trouble there. And it it wasn't like you couldn't hear the singing. You heard it fine. You just couldn't pick out individual words very well. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got the general general gist, but yeah, that's the other thing, too, is that you could kind of tell just from the song. that's like this is a I love you song and love parade itself was kind of a confusing song because it was kind of about him telling her about all these different lovers that he's had. And my impression, I don't know if I'm getting this 100 percent correct, but I think the song was about him telling her about how great she is by saying that she combines all the best elements of all these other women that he's been with already. Which is just great. It's like she's a Frankenstein together creation. Yeah, we were talking about how it's like that Adventure Time episode yep. where the Ice King stitches together all sorts of different princesses together <laughs> to make the ultimate bride. That's one of my favorite episodes and it's honestly has more depth in that episode than I think this movie has. <laughs> this this is probably true. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, I can't remember a single tune. That's the other problem, too, is that the so songs aren't memorable. The songs aren't memorable. They weren't, they weren't awful. No, it, they didn't want me to tear off my ears or anything like that. But it's not memorable. Yeah, it's kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, overall, I'm surprised this movie was nominated. And apparently it was the very first movie to be nominated for six awards. And I think it won zero. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, so I think it was just it was probably nominated because it was probably very popular. Uh, McDonald and Chevalier went on to star in a whole series of movies together in the 30s, oh, yeah. even though they could not stand each other. Oh, really? No. Um McDonald, I guess, had a reputation for being a bit of a prudish, uh, kind of judgmental. And so I don't think she got along famously with too many of her co-stars. Of course, those are all, you know, stories we're getting for the male co-stars. Um, they called her the Iron Butterfly. Um, cool. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I, I wouldn't know her name right. And, uh, and, you know, eventually I think she, she had a more famous partnership with uh, baritone Nelson Eddy. Um, but no, yes, this started her career. She was very popular in the thirties. And of course, Chevalier was too. He actually was hesitant about taking this role because he came from a very humble background. He's like, I'm not going to be believable as a count. But they're like, just own it. You can do it. Yeah. Don't, don't worry about it. It's, it's, it's goofy anyway. It's goofy. No one's going to really, they, they're here to see Chevalier. Yeah. One song that I do remember, not in terms of tune, but in terms of like the story of it was, isn't it great to be common? Oh, yeah. Between uh, Lupino and um, and what's her name? Gosh, we were just talking about her. Lulu. Lillian Roth. Yeah. So many L's. So many L's. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a cute little story about how there's all this uh, there's all this highfalutin glorification of the the newlywed royals and they're singing about how great it is to be common. Part of that is so they can slap each other around. Yeah. Um, both, both the lady and the man, which again, domestic violence on, on either end isn't great, but it's kind of done in all good fun oh, yeah, about how they can yell at each other and make a scene and it's all okay because Nobody they're common. Cares. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a good song. Yeah, I mean, the songs were fun. I just can't really remember any of them. The movie was fun. It just it left a sour aftertaste because well, of the sexism, frankly. I don't think I mean, yeah. they turn McDonald's character into just a very pathetic, clinging sort of damsel at the end, which is frustrating because she's very headstrong and uh, sure of herself in the beginning. She had insecurities, but. I felt like that made her relatable and it's just kind of a bummer. I feel like the story just kind of took a really hard turn to the aggressive too. Mm -hmm. It didn't strike me as that regressive starting out. No. And then it really at the very end is when she completely collapses and surrenders to everything, which is okay. Now, now I'm going to play like, therapist here <laughs> do it that's going to create issues down the line where she's going to feel resentment because she gave up absolutely everything for this guy 
And when it turns out none of his policies really work because he's completely untrained. Right. It's going to it's just going to cause problems. It's going to resentment. Cause, That's yeah. not the way you do it. No, 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 no. Yeah. So overall, it was kind of nice to have some lighthearted fare that was more competently done than like the movies we did last year, which overall were pretty uh, disappointing. Oh, yeah. Like if this had been last year's, I don't know if I would have necessarily like loved it, but it would have been it would have been more towards the top. Yeah, it's like a breath of fresh like. air after all that. I mean, because it's not ponderous. It's not. Uh, it doesn't drag things down. I mean, it's a fun romantic comedy. Again, you know, with the Oscars having always take, taken themselves so seriously, I am a little surprised it was nominated, but only because the Oscars take themselves too seriously. So. Yeah, I mean, I can kind of see it. I can see it being very popular. Mm-hmm. So, you know. I mean, I think probably, well, let's get into it with the rating because then I will uh, examine why I think probably it was nominated. Let's get into rating. All right. The ratings. Our first category is acting. Okay. I mean. On a scale of one to 10, how would you rate their acting? Um, I mean, you know, it's not like the same depth to the characters as you get in something like Seventh Heaven. So it's not mm-hmm. like the actors had a lot to work with, but I thought they did well with what they had. I guess I'd give them a seven. A seven? Yeah. I mean, what? yeah, what did you think of them? I mean, I thought, like you said, Chevalier was charming. Uh, Roth was charming. But McDonald, you know, she has a reputation for being, you know, in really saccharine movies and being kind of a sap herself, I think, in association. But I thought, you know, she held her own pretty well. I was just about to say, I didn't think that she did poorly at all. I mean, especially towards the beginning, I feel like that representation of that character kind of fit as this, you know, this young woman who acts young, but at the same time has command of a country and is trying to take command of her own life and not have people boss her around in concerns to marriage. She conveyed that character to me pretty well. I agree. I mean, especially since this was her first movie. Uh, So to carry uh, like this big musical spectacle as your film debut is uh, pretty intimidating. But uh, and I think maybe there was a little bit of nerves in her performance, but I think that actually helped in that it gave her a kind of good energy. Yeah, it kind of fit the character a little bit because the character is a little unsure of herself. Yeah, I felt like which kind of, you know, yeah. Like she she hides it behind this kind of like headstrong, obstinate uh, front. But uh, that I think that does cover a lot of anxieties that she understandably has being uh, a a queen of a country like that kind of uh, would uh, pump up my anxiety a lot. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So you're going to give it a seven. I'm I was going to give it a six, but you've talked me up to another seven. Oh, good, good. So we're. We're on the same footing so far. Okay. And our second category is the writing. How would you rate the writing on a scale from one to 10? Who? There were good, really good individual bits, like the part in the beginning with a malfunctioning gun, uh, the the kind of... uh, uh, tongue-in-cheek scenes where they describe his French accent. The, like, the gags like that work really well. But, you know, overall, the plot is pretty thin and it goes right. in a pretty sour direction. So I think I'm going to go with this five or six. I can't decide. Well, um, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with a four just okay. because there was so little of it in terms of just the plot but it's also hard to tell with this music maybe the music had a lot more to to say we just couldn't hear it we just couldn't hear it very well and that could have been better so i'll go with a five okay you know not as high as a six but not as low as yours just a little kind of in the middle there compromise all right so we have a five from you and a four from me on writing okay now the cinematography pretty good actually yeah yeah especially considering that it was a lot of music. 
Yeah, a lot of music. I guess we're we're not stating how much of this was just singing. A lot of it was just singing. Like Broadway musical was allegedly, you know, the first musical to to win for a long time. And uh but this movie was an actual musical. Yeah. I felt like more than Broadway Melody. Yeah, Broadway Melody was basically a melodrama that had a few songs. This mm-hmm. was a musical that had a little bit of plot thrown in. It's so I think, you know, it was around this time that Broadway musicals tended, had started to incorporate more plot. They had been more like Hollywood Review, where it was just a string of songs right. with like no attempt at plot or characters. So I think we're seeing kind of the transition. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I Therefore, it's really it would have been really easy to make this very stagey and just focus on the song. So I think it's impressive that they this really feels larger scale than anything we've seen in the sound era so far. I think, you know, there are some pretty impressive shots of like the courtyard with the uh, royal uh, band and uh, all yeah. and like at the opera house and everything. So I would give it a I'll give it an eight. An eight? Yeah. Okay. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Lubitsch was directing. The, oh, for sure. Yeah. I am going to give it a seven myself. Um, not not because anything was wrong with it. I think it did some pretty, pretty good shots and everything like that. I'm not recalling anything that really like just leapt out at me. No. But, uh, but no, it was good. It was good. It was good. Yeah. I mean, I'm probably being a little too kind to it just because I feel like we've had to score so low on most of the recent movies that I just <laughs> feel like compensating a little bit. No, that's fair enough. I think it's a, it's a fair score. All right. And so our last category in the major categories before we get to bonuses is overall, how well do the acting writing and cinematography work together? I feel like, in the writing is the real culprit mm-hmm. here. I feel like if the writing hadn't gone in such a cruddy direction with the uh, gender politics, it could have just all come together as nothing groundbreaking, but still just like a fun, yeah. uh, happy musical. So I I think I'll say six. Six? Yeah. I think I am going to... I'm going to match your six, I All think. Right. Um, and, <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I think all for the same reasons that, that you stated. The acting was, was pretty good. The cinematography was pretty good. But the writing kind of drags it down. And also that averages out our scores to a certain <laughs> extent. Yeah. So it, it kind of took all of these elements and averaged them out. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, so it's sitting on, I believe, 50 points so far. Oh, let's see if it can pick up some bonus points. OK, so costumes and set. I think it's really going to shine here. Yeah, so I'm going to give it a nine. Nine, nine. Well, out of five, so. Oh, four. dang it! I always forget. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it so much. We're gonna give it a nine. Yeah. The only reason I'm not giving it that extra point is I really don't like Lillian Roth's outfit. That's that's it. But I really, yeah. This, I just really love the late twenties, early thirties aesthetic. It's goofy and Dr. Seussian, and just really hit something for me there. Um, along with the whole Art Deco look of it. So, I mean, gosh, there were a few of McDonald's gowns. Again, goofy, but I would wear them in a heartbeat. <laughs> I'm I'm going to give them five. I'm going to give them all oh, the yeah, bonus points good. for that because, I mean, the sets themselves were also very grand. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone was in costume. Lillian Roth's uh, costume was, as you said, uh, not not great, but... There were so many other costumes, too. There were so many. I mean, it is kind of lame to take off the one point, but for just for hers. But eh, that's that. That's, no, how, that's how I roll. Um, I felt like there was something I was going to add about the costumes and sets. I just yeah, I think it was it was impressive. And I think uh, 
was a good sign of things to come for musicals. I think, you know, we really get mm-hmm. a lot of it, impressive settings and costumes and cinematography awaiting us in the musical genre for this decade. Yeah, it was very it was a very grand scale. Yeah, movie, yeah. I, which they had a bit and, of a budget, well. I think. Yeah. <laughs> OK, so boldness is our next bonus round. Um I don't know. Not so great. Not so great. It would have been bolder if uh, either Chevalier had apologized for his for his own behavior or or had him go, huh, maybe this is how women feel in their marriages. And maybe that's not great. But instead, we just get that everything that like, no, these gender roles are good. This marriage is going bad because Louise isn't playing along in those gender roles. Chevalier's doing nothing wrong. He knows what his proper place is and what her proper place is. And he's just trying to restore order. And I think that's a really chickenish stance. Yeah. And it didn't even really match the rest of the movie. And they even have a whole song. I remember now between the peasants who all the men say that the prince is right. And all the women say that the queen is right. So obviously there's this disagreement between, you know, the two halves of the gender roles and it makes it even worse when the woman completely caves. Yeah, it's just does not sit right at all. So I'm not going to give him any. Yeah. Are you giving it a zero? I'm giving it a zero. Yeah, I'm going to give him a donut as well, um, which is which is too bad. It couldn't it could have not been. Yeah, it could have not been. You know, it would really. And, you know, the stuff that's good about it isn't exactly bold. It's just an improvement. You know, the sound quality is better. The sets are better. They're just that's just like a natural progression, getting more used to sound. Right, right. Uh, Legacy. Well, we know at least it influenced Duck Soup. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it also started, I think, the kind of musical partnerships of both, you know, Jeanette McDonald and Marie Chevalier and also started McDonald's career and got her into the partnerships with uh, Nelson Eddy. So I think it kind of started that tradition of what we know now is like the kind of musical partnerships that we see in like Fred and Ginger mm. and stuff like that. So I, I'll give it two. Two bonus points for Legacy? Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and give it three because I, I was do think... I do think that it probably had a pretty decent impact on musical comedies yeah. that came out later, especially like I'm again, we keep talking about the Marx Brothers, probably because <laughs> we've been talking a lot about the Marx Brothers because the name of the country, in the movie is exactly the same as the one in Duck Soup. Yeah. But that the Marx Brothers sort of comic musical elements, I feel kind of follow that same template. Right. That this movie brought out. I don't know if it was the very first that did this, but it obviously was a big hit. Mm -hmm. And I think that probably influenced a lot of the musical comedies that followed it. I agree. All right. So we have a total of five bonus points together with the two and a three (gasps) for Legacy. Longevity. How well does this movie stand up? (sighs) I feel like even hardcore musical lovers would find this pretty square overall. Mm-hmm. Um, the Again, the songs themselves just aren't that memorable. And um, let's face it, uh, Chevalier, I think, has enough of a footprint in film history that there are people who still remember him. But McDonald, I think, is one of those actresses who's very popular in her time, but has been kind of lost in the sense of of movie history. Uh, so I don't think it really stands up too great. I'll, I'll just give it a one out of kindness. One, one bonus point. Yeah. Um, gosh, maybe I'm thinking back to the previous Academy Award year that we just covered a little bit too much. I'm going to go ahead a little bit higher and give it a two. Okay. Just because I feel like it was watchable. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, and yeah. it was perfectly, you know, it was enjoyable, yeah. I guess, until the very end. I feel I mean, I feel like a lot of people would enjoy kind of razzing it today. But I think it's but it also I think most modern audiences would appreciate that it wasn't taking itself too seriously either. Yeah. And it, it is it was just a nice change of pace from movies that 
before that were taking themselves way too seriously in old Arizona. <laughs> we're looking at you. Yep. Okay. And our very last bonus point uh, chance here, technical. I'm going to go ahead and give them the five. I mean, yeah, the some of the singing was lost, but for its time, I think it was top of its game. Yeah, uh, the sound was... Such an improvement. Such an improvement over the last uh, last year. Especially since like they were on such bigger sets. They weren't just confined to the little sound stages anymore. You know what? Uh, I was going to give it a four, but you've talked me up to a five. <gasps> You're welcome, Love Parade. <laughs> All right. So that gives it a total of 27 bonus points, which added to its 50 regular points, gives it a nice score of 77 I believe oh, C plus if this were out of a hundred, <laughs> that's a little above average. Good job. Love parade. You're a little above average. Let me, let me reference uh, how that compares to some of our other ones. Um, that puts it. Oh gosh, this is embarrassing. That, that puts it just above sunrise. What? Yeah. You know what? I am going to say it does doesn't take itself as seriously as sunrise but there is no reason why it should take itself as seriously as sunrise because sunrise is by far the superior movie objectively but yeah. you know what? <laughs> that makes it ludicrous it makes me want to like dock some of my scores I but know. you know what i think it's also just the weight of having 28 29 right bef- right behind yeah it. we're ready to be kind i think and uh great and on a curve let's face it <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we did. If this was the first year, it, I don't think it would have scored. Oh high. no! If this if this kind of quality had come out as the same year as Seventh Heaven and Sunrise, it would be like at the bottom of the pile for sure. But it's definitely at the top of the pile of early talkies. Um, yeah, I'll give it that. You know, I mean, overall, it. I, I'm kind of meh about it. Yeah, you know, it's yeah, same uh, here. Uh, Chevalier, McDonald, they're charming. I think Lubitsch brought a lot of good energy to it. But, you know, it's not like the characters had much depth, so we were particularly rooting for anybody. Um, it did feel kind of of its time. Absolutely. I feel like if we were living in that time, we probably would have had a closer connection to the music. Right. And it, But, you know, at the same time, there was jazz and other really cool, exciting music going on at this time. That this movie just decides to ignore. And so, yeah, I mean, I I'd definitely say it's worth watching. Um, it's 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 a trip. It's a trip, I'd say, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I would not say it's a must watch. But mm-hmm. if you if you wanted to have something like in the background while you're like cleaning up or or, you know, just to have something on, but, you know. You could go worse. Definitely. You could do worse than this. I mean, again, it's when you think of all the Oscar nominees throughout history, you would be surprised that this was nominated. But you do have to remember uh, the era and the fact the awards were very new and Mm -hmm. that sound was very new. So this must have seemed quite impressive at the time. An impressive theme. Yeah. But still won zero Oscars, I think. But got the most nominees of any so far. So... Yeah, it's a bit it's of an interesting. anomaly. It's a bit of an anomaly, you know? It's different from the rest. It's less serious and less quote unquote impressive. Mm-hmm. But it got the most nominees and won the least. So <laughs> you're an anomaly, Love Parade. Indeed. Now we have to ask the final question Do we want to nominate this for one of this year's Notsker nominations? <sighs> I want to say no, but you know, it's like, we haven't seen the rest yet. So for right now, I think I'm going to say no. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say no as well, just because I we haven't seen the rest of them. But I have the sense that there's going to be better affair. Afoot. I mean, the winner was all quiet on the Western Front, right? Yeah. Like, so. I've heard of that. So, I mean, I assume it's going to have probably a little more significance and merit than this. And again, I don't want to be a snob. I mean, I think that there are so many comedies and musicals out there that probably have deserved the Oscars over whatever one that year. But I just don't think 
this is a particular example. Yeah, the music is just not catchy enough to make it a a great musical. No, it doesn't have the snapper style of your Chicago or American in Paris. You know, it's just. Yeah. Well, that's too bad. The love parade. Too bad. More like the indifference parade. Or is it merely and love parade? Oh Maybe the V was kind of a presumptuous That's choice. probably what lost him everything. It was the presumptuousness of making it the love parade. All right. A little bit disappointing at the end there, much like, uh, much like, like the, movie, the movie. You know, yeah. like it's uh, think of this episode like we think of the movie starts out fun, ends on a kind of huh, disappointing meh note. Yep. I think that's uh, that's it for the episode. Um, you can catch us on Twitter at comebackastar. You can email us uh, at comebackastarpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. You can find us on Facebook, although that Facebook page is looking pretty sparse. Um, special thanks to Pontifex, which I believe yeah. at the time that this came out, this will be around the time that they actually ran a promo for us. Woo-hoo. So very special thanks for, I know, for I'm that. Excited. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thanks to all of our, um, our inspirations and, you know, our families for supporting us and all our great listeners yes. who've been great. My dad especially is getting into it. I do have to say, uh, I don't know if you've seen his most recent email. He, uh, he got uh, our podcast encouraged him to watch Alibi. Uh, from last year and he noticed something that we missed um oh yeah yeah so uh in the opening within the prison uh you know you hear that kind of monotonous uh, sound of the uh nightstick coming down uh right. counting them and i guess uh you know once we go to the crazy nightclub sequence with all the dancers there's a little bit of a rhythm and a tap going on that matches the rhythm Mm-hmm. For the nightstick. So as kind of a nice little parallel there. So eventually we'll have to bring my dad and he's kind of, you know what? Well, he's the man who got me into old movies and uh, especially for the Citizen Kane episode, which I'm sure we'll do a special episode on. We should bring him in as guests. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He's he's kind of like a film guru mm-hmm. and much in the same line that Laura is. So <laughs> I am. Um, I'm like, it's, it's like the giver. I'm in training. I'm his apprentice. <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, I guess that's it for the episode. Curtains down. Um, Projector off. Stay French, (laughs) I guess. Keep up that French accent no matter where you are. Yeah, even if you're from America, adopt a French accent. You'll get the ladies. All right, everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) Goodbye.